Hello and welcome back to a new episode of C-Suite Conversation with Scott Miller. That's me, I'm your host. Each week you may recognize my face or my voice as the host of the other podcast at Franklin Covey called On Leadership with Scott Miller, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast after four and a half years and 230 or so episodes. And as I mentioned in most of the introductions on this podcast, this is a spinoff from our first podcast because one of the things that we learned after four years of interviews is it wasn't always the Pulitzer Prize winning author or the major Hollywood celebrity or the CEO of the Fortune 5 company that got the most feedback, downloads, credits, and likes. It was often the people that were the most relatable. People like today's guests that have had a remarkable career journey, but one that in fact could be replicable for many of us. Today's guest is Tomer Cohen. He is the Chief Product Officer of LinkedIn. Joining us today from his office, Tomer, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Thank you, Scott. It's, it's great to be here with everybody. I'm a big fan of learning podcasts, so I'm excited to contribute back to this, uh, to this event. Tomer, I apologize in advance because you're going to receive hundreds, if not thousands, of LinkedIn connection requests because who doesn't want to be connected and friends with the chief product officer of arguably the most influential social platform in the world, at least professionally, and that is, of course, LinkedIn. Delighted you're here today. Lots of questions for you. Before I get into some of the um, interesting things around LinkedIn, and it's, it's indisputable, vitality into all of our careers. Would you take a few minutes and rewind a bit on your own career journey? I know you were born in Israel. You live now in the U.S. Talk a bit about some of the professional roles you've had and what led you to become the chief product officer now at LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, so I'm excited to, uh, to talk for this a little bit. I think, uh, you know, as many, think about the, the relatability of career journeys. And I think only when you look back um, you can start connecting the dots and see that for many of us, you know, the path is not uh, always very linear. Um, there's a lot of ups and downs and we make thousands of decisions throughout our career. Some are really important, some are pretty ineligible, uh, but it's only when you start connecting the dots back, you can see which ones were, were the most important ones. So it's kind of hard to do it uh, looking forward. I, I had a big inflection point um, in my journey, my career journey in my late 20s. So uh, I kind of I grew up in Israel, as you mentioned. I grew up with um, a lot of drive for impact, personal growth. I had a big passion since the early days for building and innovating, and I was always thinking about how I can solve problems with new products and experience. It's actually been the thread throughout my career. But I would say, from a young age, I remember myself always trying to find that one path for how I, you know, I accomplish my destiny. And uh, I was focusing very much on like, what's the most challenging programs out there? What's the most challenging uh, schools or in the army what I served and at work and engineering. And that's been kind of my path, find the most challenging program that you know, everybody looking up to and try to get accepted to that and, and do a good job there. In many cases I failed. So this was not always a success story, but I always kept going. That was like a continuous theme. And that's how I got to the US and I got to Stanford, which was a, a dream come true for me. Uh, and with a lot of luck, of course. But that's where my mindset started shifting. It started shifting a lot to what matters most to me. And that was a strong emphasis on entrepreneurship and personal values. And, and I remember um, trying to decide uh, throughout my, my graduate school at Stanford, trying to decide, you know, what is it that I wanted to do with my life and what, what matters to me most? And I really had like a hard time sleeping at, at times. It was like, it was thoughts running through my head the whole time. 
And I had an opportunity to take the kind of the safe route and just, you know, go for like what was the most in-demand jobs out there and focus on getting into those and, you know, being able to pay back my massive loans, my massive student loans, or take a different, you know, unpaid road, which was more around entrepreneurship, which I was most excited about. Uh, so that really challenged my thoughts about what success really means. And then uh, in a very powerful coaching moment, I had this like light bulb uh, situations and I realized that I had a limiting belief around uh, my one journey, one, my destination. Uh, and I realized there was not one journey. I could have multiple journeys and, and our careers fluctuate. And as long as we're focused on the stuff that really matters to us, we will do well ultimately in terms of uh, getting fulfillment and, and, and purpose. So literally the next day I decided to start a company, uh, which was the crazy thing to do with a massive uh, student debt and a lot of risk, but I felt extremely fulfilled because of it. And the company itself was not a fairy tale story. So it wasn't successful. It wasn't a big success story, but the process was the biggest part that I received from it. And ever since then, it's been kind of my journey around learning impact, but really what matters most to me that actually guides me. Tomer, thank you for that. You are the chief product officer at LinkedIn. When I think of a chief product officer, I know what that means at Disney, at Gucci, at you know, certain companies where I know what their products are, Nike. When I think of LinkedIn, which I'm on you know, multiple times a day because I use it as an invaluable business development tool. It is my digital platform of choice professionally. I, I think I know what LinkedIn is, but obviously it's more than just the digital platform I go to to connect and to return messages and to post on, you obviously have a variety of products that you use and promote. Talk a bit about what the chief product officer at LinkedIn is responsible for. Yes, it's a, it's a great question because I think for many, uh, it's a relatively new role in the industry. So to put it simply, uh, as the chief product officer at LinkedIn, I'm responsible for uh, the things we build. So it starts with setting the company's product strategy, then overseeing the teams who are building and creating LinkedIn's products and services. And the role of a chief product officer is a relatively new role in the industry. It kind of shows the transformation that we've been going through as companies become more user-centric, more thinking products and services. And there's a realization today that I don't think always existed with uh, that if you, you can win in your strategy, if you focus first and foremost on the value delivered to your customers and to your users, to, to your members. And you can see it for companies. So at LinkedIn, we have a value called member first. Everything we do starts with what's the value for the member. And a company like Amazon, you would see something like customer obsessed. Like they're kind of continuously thinking about how they can build amazing tools and, and experiences for, for the customer. And you can see that approach today with a lot of tech companies and leaders, everything from Satya, who is very, very first and foremost thinking about the user experience to, we talked about Amazon with Bezos, to even Elon Musk, uh, to startups in the field. And the mindset around the user centricity uh, really kind of, I think, elevates the role of products at the center of the company and then puts that kind of focus on the chief product officer as overseeing the overall product strategy for the company itself. Tober, talk about the data, for example. How many members exist in the worldwide LinkedIn community? Yeah, so we have north of 850 million members today, and this is worldwide. So like well known for uh, three quarters of our members, uh, of our engagement comes internationally. The vast majority of no growth coming to LinkedIn, we're growing really fast. We're growing more than three members per second. 
uh, a lot of it is coming internationally, obviously new generation, so like Gen Z and students and entry level workers who are coming into LinkedIn. Uh, and then you start looking at LinkedIn more of a, this kind of digital representation of the world's economy. And then you have almost every company on earth represented on LinkedIn. And you have every almost every university and school, every skill, every piece of professional knowledge, every job. And you really start building in this incredible economic ecosystem that allows people to connect to economic opportunity as they progress in their career. Tomer, what does your data show about the future of work? in terms of uh, interviewing, skills, job growth? What, what would you share some insights that perhaps the common user like me may not be aware of in terms of what does the future look like professionally for us? It's a broad question. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, but it's such an excellent question because it keeps changing. So I, I encourage you to uh, invite me again in a couple of years and ask me the same question and seeing how, how it's changing there. I think more clearly when it comes to skills, if we focus on skills currently, which is, by far becoming one of the most important currencies in the world of work, is that we're going through this transformation in, build, in being able to actually to build this like skills first mindset. I would say if I were to like do a TLDR for this, uh, for this answer is the need for a growth mindset right now is more important than ever. Uh, people need to think about how they acquire new skills, they go deep on skills and how they learn and adjust to new skills in the marketplace in a, in, a, in a more fast forward fast way than ever before. And I'll give you an example. So, you know, one of the things we're seeing is that many skills can be transferable and you can start moving from one world to another with adjustments. One of the, one of the most powerful data points we've saw, we saw, which I thought was pretty incredible, is that uh, for a cashier to move to a, customer present, to a customer service representative, they have an overlap of 70% in their skills. So if you want to move from a very entry-level job into a more, um, you know, into a job which is more closer to customers and potentially paying more, you don't have to relearn everything from scratch. There's actually, you already have a very strong overlap and then you grow from there. So the notion of transferability is a big one in terms of helping the, the world, the workplace actually evolve. The second part is there's a lot of more focus right now on specialized skills. I would say depth of your knowledge. So being able to start building like really unique skills in the marketplace that are really in demand for those jobs that exist out there. Uh, we know that 45% of recruiters right now, and that's a growing number, uh, it was substantially lower last year, are looking more and more and more at the skill sets of candidates than necessarily looking at their um, where they went to school or where they work to work. They're still looking at those, but they're also trying to look at the skill set of, 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 of the base. And that's really helpful because that helps them reach a much bigger base of candidates. And lastly, and potentially the most important, is that the need to learn new skills is dramatic right now. So the velocity in which you learn new skills is critical. So we know, for example, that you know, for uh, the top skills for a worker that they had uh, since 2015, they had to change 25% of the skills, or learn 25% new skills to evolve into a marketplace. And when you think about that and how technology, the pace of technology is evolving, you're really ending with that notion of to truly succeed in the world's economy going forward, that need to continue to learn and evolve is more critical than ever before. Tomer, you emphasized indisputably the need to develop skills. I heard you say growth mindset. Are the skills really technical skills? 
Are they project management skills or are they what we know as soft skills, you know, being proactive and collaborating with others and being, being trustworthy and punctual? I mean, what, being able to communicate well, diffuse conflict. Be more specific in terms of what does the data show that organizations, what kind of skills do they want out of the future workforce? Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful question because I think depending on where the listeners are in their career, it could be very different. So I can tell for myself, uh, there was a lot of focus for me on hard skills at the beginning, and that was a really great way for me to build uh, my career. But the more and more I advanced in my career, I realized the soft skills are the ones that really start to have the biggest impact on how you manage and how you lead and how you inspire, how you create clarity of vision. So I would say it really depends on where folks are in their career. Um, you know, when you look at like, just on the, let's, let's start with the technical hard skills at the beginning. When you look at like the pace of technology, uh, if we talked about, if we were now in around 2000, 2005, mobile was just starting. Cybersecurity was just starting. AI was picking up. Those became new skills in the market. So if you wanted to specialize in your engineering skills and your product skills and even in your sales skills, learning those and understanding the impact of those technological revolutions on your role was very meaningful. So that's kind of where the technology evolution is happening a lot. On the soft skills, I think this is a lot about how you start building more and more influence uh, and more and more relatability and approachability towards others. Ultimately, if I would go back and I think the the number one um, factor of people's ability to succeed in their careers as they progress in it is the ability to connect with others yeah. and being able to understand others and develop that empathy and communication skills really allows them to have a much bigger impact than just sitting in front of their computer and coding, for example. So it really depends on the stage of the career there. I think we couldn't agree more, right? It's the reason why the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, has sold 50 million copies and is the world's most adopted personal development program in companies because it's all about how you're effective with other people, not just with your own, you know, your, your own life as well. Let's, you mentioned Satya, the CEO of Microsoft, which of course owns LinkedIn. To what extent can you discuss how LinkedIn's product map and your own learning journey ties with what Microsoft learns and their product of suites? Talk about how you're able to benefit from the collaboration and partnership ownership through Microsoft. Yeah, um, you know, when, when we were acquired by Microsoft, um, the early days, and you're thinking about like how this like you know this marriage come to life, right? You're joining a new family, and there's established culture and established roots. But what gave me the most confidence and the most excitement about that kind of joint journey together was the fact that both companies are very purpose-driven and their vision uh, stemmed from the same core principles. So for LinkedIn, you know, our vision is to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. And for Microsoft, it's basically empowering every organization and the role and professional to succeed. And you can see that overlap, it's really, really strong. And we are an extremely, extremely vision-driven company. Extremely, it's like, you know, when I came to LinkedIn, Talking about experiences, I, I I was always not very clear about like visions, missions for companies and corporations. Seems always I came from a startup, and LinkedIn was probably one of the probably the, the one of the first corporations I joined um, as a senior leader. But before I was in a startup community, and when you think about culture and and vision and mission, it wasn't always clear to me what those were until I joined, until I saw how it was done in a really effective way, and that's where 
uh, I was really gravitating towards that wide way of doing it. And I think when we joined Microsoft, there was that potential concern for me around like, would that work really well together? And right seeing like for the first session we did with Satya at the day of the acquisition, you already saw that there was such a great overlap in culture and thinking and purpose that you had that like, okay, we share the same values. We should be able to overcome any obstacle along the way. And that's been the journey since then. A lot of our work has been trying to combine the kind of power, the superpower of LinkedIn, which is the professional community, the, the professional profile with Microsoft suite of tools, right? So right now, if you go to a Microsoft suite of tools and you see a person, you can tap on them, you can see their professional journey, what they shared, what they talked about, and you'll see more and more collaboration coming over time. Tomer, this might be too granular for your day-to-day -day knowledge, but uh, what are the most popular in-demand jobs that nobody knows about? Like if I have uh, uh, three children, which I do, I have three sons with my wife that are eight, 10, and 12. And so they're entering this week, second grade, fifth grade, and seventh grade. What should I as a parent know about what's going to exist in terms of opportunity five, 10 years from now? What are the jobs that are in the most demand that parents, that people in the workforce should know are on the come? Yeah, so first of all, congrats on starting a new uh, school year. We just started ours last week and it was- uh, You mean congrats great. on having the kids go back to school? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, congrats to all the parents out there getting some more sanity into the day exactly. today. Um, it's such an excellent question and I don't have a great definitive answer for you. And I think because the, the, the simple reason is if you look for your kids, and I think you said eight, 10 and 12, when they will come into the workforce, it would be at least, um, you know, five to 10 years from now. And I think a lot of those jobs hasn't been invented yet. I think that brings us back to the notion about really the skill you want to build is the skill of learning. Uh, and it's really just a matter of the pace of innovation out there. So, you know, I would even look at like, hey, what's the emerging technologies right now that now they feel like they're kind of starting off and where we would be a decade for now, whether it's alternative energy, um, environmental engineering, whether it's crypto and Ethereum and blockchain or automation, autonomous cars, heck, they might even work on space rockets to Mars, right? It's really hard to kind of put a pace on like where that the technology would be at that, that point. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot. It's, it's really a continuous learning and evolving. Currently, if they were in the market, so for folks who are currently in the market, uh, it's obviously those out of those like the technical skills from coding and networking to <clears throat> being able to do Python and SQL, uh, but also a lot of stuff in hospitality and healthcare are becoming like really big trending, uh, trending jobs right now. So for your kids, I would highly, highly encourage focusing on learning those frameworks, those tools of learning fast and really staying very tuned to the emerging technologies out there. Uh, Tomer, I asked a question because I, I author a lot of books on leadership, marketing, mentoring. I'm offering, authoring a few books coming out on career management and a whole book of, uh, a series of books on different careers. And my publisher told me a year ago that the number one high growth job in America right now was wind turbine technician. Like literally had the highest demand for that. I've never even been on a wind turbine, but my sense is it's going to be kind of like Moore's law. Like you said, the jobs that exist today will be very different than perhaps even five, 10 years from now or less because there's a lot of jobs that haven't even been invented yet. But the unifying theme is I hear it's kind of two ends of a continuum in terms of skill development. Technical skills, 
coding, development, accelerated learning skills, and also how to get along with others. It's a fine balance of both of those things. 100%. And I think it differentiates you at the stages of your career. Yeah. I think you can go a long way with hard skills at the beginning of your career. Uh, but I think if you're going to grow an organization and you've seen it in your role, and I'm sure our, our listeners who are in uh, their leadership roles, they, they definitely resonate with it. It becomes a lot and a lot and a lot more of the soft skills. I think a lot of the challenges you're trying to solve when you're in those positions tend to index more in soft skills than they are in hard skills. How do you rally organization? How do you, uh, you know, when I moved from a startup to a large organization, one of the hardest things for me to realize was how do I get a large organization to move together and, and cohesive, like in this cohesion and cohesiveness coming together towards a goal. That was not easy. When you run a smaller team, you can get a, you can get a long way with like a really exciting vision and, and a roadmap. But in a larger, larger organization, there's a lot more to consider there. That's why the soft skills come into play in a pretty dramatic way as you grow in your career. Let's talk about uh, what maybe people don't know about LinkedIn. Uh, as, as how I booked you, right? It's how we book our guests, right? Is through LinkedIn. It's how we became connected. Uh, as an author, as a podcast host, as a speaker, an entrepreneur, I use LinkedIn quite ubiquitously. I'm also on TikTok and Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, all the other groups. But I see, and they're great, they're important. And I see LinkedIn as probably um, the broadest tool for all that I want to accomplish professionally, whether it be through making connections, whether it be through building my keynote business or launching my books or connecting with people like you to have on the podcast or for that matter, helping other people land a publisher or an editor or book a guest on their podcast. I mean, talk a little bit about the role that LinkedIn can play and literally every professional that's, that's connected. You said 850 million members right now. Yeah, and I love how you went through all those examples of what, how, 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 how much can you accomplish on LinkedIn is, is pretty phenomenal. Uh, I'll, I'll start with a small story of how I got to learn about LinkedIn and where I became a LinkedIn fan. It was, it was long before I joined a company. Uh, but as I mentioned, uh, I, I came to the Valley um, in 2008 and uh, I went to a Stanford engineering lecture and uh, Reid Hoffman, who I did not know really well at the time, uh, who was the founder of LinkedIn, was, uh, was talking on stage. And he was talking about back then social networks were, social networks were emerging. Uh, Facebook back then was like TikTok of today. It was like strong, but it was still a phenomenon. People were trying to understand what it is. And, and LinkedIn didn't have much of the buzz of, of the social networks and the Facebook uh, at that time. And Reid went on stage and he talked about how his vision was how you can harness the power of an online professional community to create economic opportunity for every member in the world. And I remember it's just like, uh, it just stuck with me. And I remember just being extremely uh, focused on like what that meant and what that power actually can contribute. And that was the day I became a LinkedIn fan. I was like, this is incredible. That tool brought to hundreds of millions of people can really change their lives. It could be the difference if I would do an A-B test between someone who has LinkedIn and someone who doesn't have LinkedIn, the person who has LinkedIn should be able to accelerate in their career in, 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 in a much more uh, impressive, faster way. And that's where I think that's where it clicked for me. And I think this goes back to what you said. When you think about LinkedIn, I think about it in this way. It's like this superpower that allows you to connect to the world's largest professional community to achieve anything you're trying to get done. So 
I could be, you know, in the morning, I'm trying to understand what's happening in my industry, in the professionals in my industry. And I go and I see what they share and talk about. And then later on, I have an interview with someone. I want to interview someone and I'm going and I'm checking my, their profile to learn more about them. And, and later on, I want to market something to, to my community. So I want to talk about something I built or something I'm working on. And I share this across. And then maybe later that day, I have a, I had like a, I didn't have a great day at work. And, and I don't know, my, my boss pissed me off. And I'm going to check like what's out there for me in terms of job opportunities. But it's all really going back to the task you have in mind. Everything from writing my PhD dissertation and how is there someone out there can help me create progress towards my goal, to I'm trying to find my dream job, to I'm trying to market, to I'm trying to fundraise for my startup. Literally, I can go every professional uh, value proposition and show you how LinkedIn can be effective for you there. You know, Tomer, I mentioned I see very much LinkedIn as a business development tool. It's a networking tool. But I also see it as a social community. I once was pilloried because I posted a video of my youngest son dancing on our dining room table to a Post Malone song. So I'll interview someone like Seth Godin or Deepak Chopra or Arina Huffington or, you know, Tomer Cohen. And I'll get like, you know, 30 comments and 100 likes. I post a video of my son dancing to Post Malone and it gets like thousands of likes and hundreds of comments because I do think that people also want to see the other side of my life. They want to see not just my credentials and my skills and what book I've launched or what my title was in my last job, but they also want to see what is Scott Miller really like. And I got some people that commented, how dare you use LinkedIn for this? I'm unfollowing you. Great, unfollow me. But I actually think that LinkedIn can serve a really valuable role to get to know the whole person. Talk about that. Yeah, I think, you know, when we think about LinkedIn, and this is where... Um, it's unique and it's different, right? It's like the whole idea is we're going back to the vision is how do we create economic opportunity for people? And that obviously sounds very serious. And it is, it's, it's a big deal. You're changing people's lives. And that's how we, that's the level of, I would say, um, passion and purpose. Uh, I come to work with and the rest of my team and the company comes to work with. And I think that's incredible. And we do it in many ways, but we're trying to role model that kind of desired workplace environment. Uh, in the most human way possible. And at work, we get a lot of stuff done and we work on important things and we help the company progress, but we also have fun. In fact, one of our company values is dream big, get things done and have fun. And even in this podcast, like smiles and laughter, it's like, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are looking for professional advice and professional learning, but you wanna do this in, in this kind of um, enjoyable, joyful way. And I think you can get a lot of professional tasks done with a little bit of humor to an extent, a little bit of joy as adding to part of it. Now, if it becomes all humor, your desired workplace is not really effective, right? right? right. So if you're just having fun at the workplace, then maybe it's not a really productive workplace. But I think productivity is ingrained with humor, ingrained with joy, ingrained with levity. Amen. If done right, it could be an amazing accelerator. Amen. Okay, so let's go behind the scenes. I'm going to do a speed round with you so that people understand some of the secret nuances of using LinkedIn. Uh, I understand that LinkedIn defines connections and followers differently, and that right now the, the, the cap on the number of connections you can have is 30,000. True or false? 
it's, it's indeed we have a cap on connections going back to why we have a cap in connections this is really important so connections just as a so we can get the terminology uh, in place connections are people you know when we started the company Reed Hoffman the whole idea was people you know can help you they can be a referral to you they can give you references they can help you connect to other people so Scott you and I know each other and you know somebody else and I'm trying to get to somebody else. One of the best ways for me to do it is, Scott, can you introduce me to someone? It's a yeah. very powerful way uh, to conduct business and to progress. And so that's supposed to be, that's the connections. That's the purpose of connections. On the follower side is, as people are establishing more and more of their voice on LinkedIn, they're establishing more and more of their presence on LinkedIn. It's less about, do I know Scott? But, you know, I really appreciate Scott's thoughts and opinions and craft and expertise. So I really want to follow Scott for what he's talking about, for what he knows. So I'm not going to reach out to Scott for a referral, but when he shares a great podcast, when he shares a great thought, I really want to be able to consume that and be inspired myself because that could help me do my job better. And those tend to delineate. So connections are really the folks who can, you know, they're part of your immediate kind of circle. They can help you. They can give and get help for you. And People you follow are people that are you you are really interested in their craft and their knowledge and you want to learn from. Tomer, I heard a funny term once called getting in LinkedIn jail. And that is if you've sent out too many connection requests or you're just, you know, trying to spam everybody out there in your industry to sell to them or you have too many connection requests that are perhaps unresponded to or you report as, I don't know this person, maybe you use a different term, but someone can find themselves in LinkedIn purgatory, right? As a Catholic, I might use that term versus jail, but there's LinkedIn, of course, wants their community to use it responsibly. What are some of the ways that users can find themselves either shut down or in LinkedIn jail if they're using it uh, in a perhaps too opportunistic way? Well, we want you to use LinkedIn in an opportunistic way. The whole idea is for you to connect to opportunity. So uh, first and foremost, use LinkedIn in an opportunistic way. It's a phenomenal platform to do so. But we want you to, we want you to respect the platform and do it in a way that provides for a self and productive community. Like we are thrilled to have people join LinkedIn, share ideas. That's, that's what we build it for. That's why we come to work because they're connected to opportunity. But you want to make sure they're, they're it's done just like the workplace. It's done in a safe, trusted, professional manner. Uh, so people use the platform in a way that respects others. We are we build this platform for economic opportunity, not for clicks. Uh, we build this platform so folks can find a job, they can learn, they can market, they can sell, they can fundraise, they can partner. Literally, I can go on and on and on. So for that, we basically have what we call our community guidelines. And uh, you just write down LinkedIn community guidelines, you'll see them. They're very clear and they're simple. And in many ways, we want to role model the workplace environment. Uh, and they're and they are giving everybody a tool. They're giving people a tool to learn how to conduct themselves, but also to report behavior that they don't deem to be uh, respectful. So the way you engage on LinkedIn. Um, and again, it's you just coming in a very human way, but in many ways, we want to make sure it's professional and people feel safe and trusted uh, in the platform. So that's where really a lot of those guidelines are coming from. And it's really meant to protect our member base. Uh, Tomer, build a persona of someone on LinkedIn, not the outlier that has millions of connections and followers or that you know, is a household you know, CEO or author. If you think about the people that are really influential, where they're building 
in, in, in providing value, where their followership is exploding, where they're using the tool for, uh, for value for, their, mem for their, their community. What are people doing right? If, if someone says, I really want to build my followership, what are some of the tenants that the normal person that's either building their business or building their network or wants to build a sales pipeline or wants to even give back right, abundantly to their network, what are some things we should be doing that are relatable to build our influence on LinkedIn? Uh, it's such a great question because I think there's so much you can accomplish on LinkedIn. And you can experiment, obviously, with your presence. And, uh, and, and as you evolve in your career, your needs will probably change over the course uh, of, of your journey. And LinkedIn might serve a different purpose for you as you evolve in your career. Um, I think in many cases, there's multiple aspects of it. One is building your presence, whether it's building your profile uh, in the most authentic way, where you work, what you did, who you connected with, building a connection list of people that you actually know that you can offer help to them and they're offering help to you. That's a great way, by the way, to validate something should be a connection or not. Are you willing to help them? Are they willing to help you? And then once you start to do that, I think a phenomenal way for you to start building a presence beyond that is to start talking about your craft. And we all have a craft. Doesn't matter if we're like 20 years in the world or a year, there is a specific niche that we know really well, that we go deep on, that we spend our time on. There's thoughts and inspirations and ideas that come to life. And the more you can start sharing with the community, uh, the more you'll grow your followership. So for example, uh, there's this uh, amazing animator uh, on LinkedIn called Kevin Perry. And he's, he has his own business and he creates these beautiful animations, uh, stop, motion, uh, uh, stop motion animations on LinkedIn. And he started really uh, sharing and talking about his craft, sharing both his uh, art pieces basically at this point as well as the science and the behind the scenes behind, like how he does it and what's the, he's basically teaching. And through that mechanism, he's able to not being able to just grow his followership, he's able to get uh, job opportunities and gigs because of his craft and he's super talented and he's able to get speaking opportunities and really that mechanism opened up economic opportunities for him. And then you start seeing the effect on the community people coming to us and saying, you know, because of Kevin right now, I'm so interested in, in, in stop motion and I'm learning how to do it, which is really unique. I've, I've learned, never really seen the behind the scenes and I can actually reach out to Kevin also for a question and he'll answer back. And that's special. That moment when you connect with someone who is doing something that is along your craft or this, the craft you want to build and create that connection really allows for that community to start thriving. And it's at the core of the founding principle of LinkedIn to connect the world's professionals so ultimately they're more productive and successful. Tomer, I know our time is ending. Will you finish off with kind of what does the future of LinkedIn look like? Are there some courses, products, tools? What should our nearly billion members in our community be looking for in the coming months and years from LinkedIn? Yeah, it's, it's uh, thank you for ending on that note. It's such a powerful um, way to think about how can everybody uh, leverage LinkedIn to the best of their needs and their and their professional journey. You know, in, in many ways, when, when I think about the power, <clears throat> the power of LinkedIn is how you can start crafting it in a personalized way for you. So for people who are coming in, we're continuously evolving, we're continuously building. In fact, I have a I have a newsletter called Building LinkedIn, and uh, in that newsletter, I basically start sharing the stuff we're experimenting with. And people give me feedback and. 
we actually I listened carefully to the feedback and we, we tried to iterate on that. So we're, we're doing this in an iterative way with the community itself to show everybody what we're actually building. Uh, I would say in a, in a massive way, start building the LinkedIn for you. The LinkedIn that starts tailoring to your needs, to your skill set. Start thinking about like how you can not just leverage your profile to be out there, but your voice. How you can start following the people you care most about that actually have something to excite you with. How you can think about like maybe starting your brand or your business. We have north of 5 million service providers on LinkedIn today. We see a lot of composite careers, people taking multiple careers, a portfolio of a career for people. Start thinking about what could be that for you. And then in many ways, start thinking about the next evolution of your career. If you want to get ahead in your career, who could be that mentor? Uh, and she could be incredible. She could be already very successful in her field and re reaching out to people, asking for mentorship. But it's really that notion of how you can start looking at LinkedIn and taking advantage of all the tools we built for you to take that next step forward. And we're going to be investing a lot in helping you present yourself in the most authentic, powerful way. We're going to be helping, we're going to invest a lot in helping you reach, gain access to knowledge and to the best people out there on a specific topic. We're going to help you build skills. Uh, we post more than 4,000 courses a year on new skills. We're going to help you connect with the right hiring managers. We're going to help you connect with the right products. There's so much we're going to help you connect with, but it's really on the member side to start investing and curating their own path within this incredible platform. Okay, Tomer. Uh, first connections, who's your most treasured or famous celebrity or business author or business titan that's in your tightest LinkedIn connection circle? Who are you most proud of that you're connected to? Uh, there's so many I'm connected, I'm, I'm proud of. Obviously, I work at LinkedIn, so Reid Hoffman is- uh, <laughs> It's not too shabby. <laughs> well said. Tomer Cohen, Chief Product Officer at LinkedIn. Thanks for your time today. I look forward to keeping our virtual and physical, perhaps someday, connections going. Maybe when I'm out in the Valley, we can have lunch. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, thank you everybody. This was a great session. And we look forward to hearing back and seeing you next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.